Welcome to Que Pasa HSIs, a podcast dedicated to everything Hispanic serving institutions. I'm your host, Dr. Gina Ann Garcia, bringing you the news on what's happening in HSIs. Join us as we explore the history and evolution of HSIs, culturally relevant and liberatory practices, current and emerging research with HSIs, and the policies that shape servingness. Saludos, HSI familia, and welcome to the final episode of season two of Que Pasa HSIs, a podcast where we talk about all things HSIs. The podcast has evolved into a plática where we learn about the latest research, scholarship, knowledge, and best practices coming out of HSIs, and what we learn with educators, leaders, and students advancing servingness. The first season of the podcast was a dream come true, with listeners downloading the episodes 6,250 times in just three months. The feedback was so positive and affirming, as many of you tuned in to learn with some of my favorite siblings and co-conspirators in the struggle. Season two has a continued to evaluate our understanding and of servingness with every guest pouring into us and blowing our minds. I have so much love and appreciation for all of our guests, listeners, and subscribers, and for my HSI familia as a whole. It is such an honor to host Que Pasa HSIs. In today's final episode, I talked to Dr. Katia Paz Goldfarb, who is the inaugural associate provost for Hispanic initiatives and international programs at Montclair State University. She is professor and founding chair of the Family Science and Human Development Department in the College of Education and Human Services at Montclair State University and served as chair of the University Chairs Council. She is a fellow at the Hispanic Association of Colleges and Universities, Academia de Liderazgo, or Leadership Academy. Her research focuses on immigrant transnational families, family sustainability, access, equity, belonging in higher ed, and HSIs. In this episode, we talk about how she accesses her knowledge of families and communities in order to enact servingness at Montclair State. And we begin to dream about what intentional servingness in the Northeast can and should look like. Prior to this episode, I had never met Dr. Paz, but I had heard about her work from my good friend and season one guest, Dr. Marla Franco, and she came highly recommended by this season's guest, Dr. Blanca Vega. The time spent in this platica with Dr. Paz was very informative and joyful. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, I'm excited to get started with today's episode of Que Pasa HSIs, where we talk about all things HSIs. Thank you, Dr. Katia Paz Goldfarb, for being with us today on, the, on, on our episode of Que Pasa HSIs. But before we talk about HSIs, which we're going to talk about for the whole episode, we want to hear about you. I'm going to learn a little bit about you and your journey into and through higher education. So go ahead and talk to us a little bit about your higher education journey, how you you can start any point you want and end anywhere you want um, with your higher ed journey. Thank you. And thank you for having me. This is great. Uh, and I like it and love it, these things. Um, uh, well, it is a, a little bit, you know, I think that part of uh, learning what I wanted to do and what I had access to do. So this play between, um, okay, are you sure you want to go to college? Are you sure you are ready to go to college? Are you sure that you should go to college? Some of the questions that we you know, ask ourselves, but also ask from our students. So I'll start, I can start very early on, but um, I was just say that what my 
because of the servingness kind of uh, theme and thread that we talk about it and we think about it, I will just give you like bits and pieces. And one of them, it is when I was around 15 years old, I decided that, uh, to join a community organization. And what we did was to give the polio immunization to the most poor, poor, poor people in the country, in Venezuela, in Caracas, uh, going house to house, knocking uh, door to door. And I'm going to reveal a little bit of being a uh, wise uh, person, meaning old person. And it was the time where the immunization was given by drops. Uh, so it, I was not you know, using vaccination, but I was using the drops. So we were giving the drops and go ahead and do it. And I think that that kind of work out there in the community and serving the people who had less access and less privilege than me serve for the catalyst of thinking, what is it that I wanted to do and where I wanted to go? And jump then to the master's degree, which I did a master's degree in sociology of education at Eastern Michigan University. Uh, and then I did a PhD in Michigan State in family science. So it is important that piece because when I was, when I uh, finished my uh, coursework, uh, Eastern Michigan University invited me to teach a class uh, as I was writing my dissertation, that beautiful, painful uh, chapter of our lives uh, uh, doing that. And, uh, and I was, you know, I was kind of thinking what I was going to do. I had done, you know, previous work on something and maybe, you know, grandparents, uh, multi-generational. I went all the kind of thing, family kind of issues. But then I get to this class. And uh, the person who was the associate uh, uh, dean for graduate school at that moment from Texas uh, had brought a group of um, the best students in a couple of high schools in La Frontera con Mexico, okay? And gave them full ride scholarships to go to Eastern Michigan University in Ypsilanti, Michigan, okay? And here I am teaching the class, blah, 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 perfect, all fine, or whatever. You know, a human development class is a 100 level class. And then I see that at the end of the class, there is a group of students that stay. They just stay. And they come very, very shy and they start speaking in Spanish. And then I said, okay. So, you know, we went for a coffee, tea, Coke, Diet Coke for me and chocolate will be the perfect thing combination. You know, we were sitting then and we were talking. And some of the things that came out in the conversation was how similar it was. My experience as an, um, as an immigrant to United States, even an immigrant through what I will call the big door, the front door, uh, because I came to study in United States, right? Uh, so that I feel that, that there is a privilege there too, having the opportunity and the possibility to immigrate that way, okay? But the conversation with them surrounded that it was like living in another country. They came from Texas, but it was living like another country, okay? They understood everything, but it was living like another country, okay? So we kept talking about that. And I felt that I wanted to encapsulate and and have this, this, their stories and their lives, you know, in paper. 
something that will tell that, you know, all the struggles, even in the best opportunities that we think we're giving to our people, okay, that there are still struggles and how little I think in all honesty, I knew, we knew in higher education about the role that we should have played in preparing the students for this cultural shock or living in, in more than one culture, multicultural spaces, immigration, migration within the United States and the cultural shock that they were living day by day uh, it being in Ypsilanti, you know, Michigan, coming from uh, the border from Texas. And, I, I, and it was just like those kinds of moments where it tells you, wow, okay, you are in something here. There is something to be learned here. And, and I thought, okay, so this has the richness and the, and the piece of, you cannot tell me that I'm doing research on immigrants. Although, of course, there is a piece of it, but this is research on USA citizens that are from a specific community. And here we are giving them the opportunity uh, in, a, in a certain way, very passive way, okay? It's like, we know what's better. We're bringing you, we are taking you from your community. We are going to give you the opportunity of studying and full ride and everything, what, what was the price that we're paying? And then the negative piece, and then the positive piece, of course, of having the opportunity for them to have had that growth uh, and opportunity. So I believe that that's where those two kind of very poignant moments of my life that actually told me, you know, there is something here. The interesting piece is, of course, you do your dissertation, right? And then you go get your first job. I got my first job in the University of New Mexico as a full-time uh, faculty uh, where I had my tenure and promoted to associate professor. And, uh, and there were other very poignant points through the career of, uh, you know, at that moment you would have asked me or say something about Hispanic serving institutions, I wouldn't have even thought about it. But I was in the University of New Mexico. You, you don't even have to think about it, okay? You were just there. So uh, the work that we were doing with the communities and one of the things that I did that was a little bit different was I opened aging studies. And partly I opened aging studies to work with the communities, not only with the Hispanic community and the Hispanic community in New Mexico is quite different than the one in New Jersey uh, in, and, and so forth in many places. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. So, you know, we forget a little bit about that too. Mm -hmm. okay? But uh, it was also very important for me, the Native American perspective, uh, the Pueblo, the tribe, the, the city Native American versus, you know, all of the urban Native, all of these kinds of things. So aging felt for me yet another theme that can cross culture no matter who you are where you are what you are doing and I loved it I I love to do that and then 21 years ago because I've been at Montclair State University I'm jumping from things but to give you the flavor of you know things that are as a puzzle that you know then brought me to what what where I am today 
um, moving to uh, the university uh, uh, here at Montclair State University 21 years ago. Uh, it was a very interesting opportunity that we got. I, I was born in Chile and raised in Venezuela. Um, New Mexico is a very interesting, beautiful, gorgeous place. The Latinidad for me is a little bit different than it is in New Mexico. And it's yes. so <laughs> in terms of experiences and everything. And there were just things that I was craving from, mm. you know, more uh, South America, Central America, but on the type of the, the more the Caribbean part of it and also the more, uh, you know, other kinds of things. And I, we were thinking of, you know, where, where to go next. Uh, as I was thinking of my next step in, in the career. And this opportunity came about and I, it was excellent. I absolutely don't regret it. I do miss and I have come back to New Mexico and see my friends uh, and colleagues. And I see them in the, of course, in the conferences and things like that. And at the level now that I'm working with HSIs, it has always brought me back uh, uh, full circle to also there. But uh, there was an opportunity here to grow something. And uh, I was very lucky in that Dean believed in me and the provost believed in me and they let me open a department, <laughs> which is, you know, doesn't wow. yeah. have a <laughs> Yes, that's awesome. Uh, and, uh, and I was able to be the, uh, so I am the inaugural chair of the Family Science and Human Development here at uh, Montclair State University. So we opened the department and uh, my next goal after that was actually to open a PhD, which we actually did. So we have a PhD in family science and human development. And the, the piece attached to the PhD is not only for the PhD, it was really more in understanding that if we believe in representation and if we believe in the students seen in the faculty, uh, people that look like them, talk like them, feel like them, live like them, have similar histories and stories like them, then we need to support the PhD work. We need to make sure that we admit to our program people who represent the students that we are teaching. Uh, and this was, again, even before uh, the designation of HSI uh, to Montclair State University, but it, it, it goes hand in hand with the research that I have done all my life, which is Latino families and schools and Latino families and communities and higher education and issues of equity and inclusion and diversity and social justice. And all of that has been since day one from my research. So in a sense, I've been embedded in that, but obviously from the perspective of my discipline. And this time I was able to not only do discipline, but it's going to the institutional part of it. And, uh, and yes, and that I said that in, in six years, I wanted to uh, uh, graduate at least five Latinas. And uh, before I took this, uh, this job, that is exactly what I did. And uh, now, of course, there are more. Uh, Congratulations. But, uh, thank you. That's a it's huge accomplishment and an important one. Yes, it's the moving the needle. Just, mm -hmm. just a little bit. Just a little bit. There are many mm -hmm. needles we need to move, but that's one um, that I think we haven't been as intentional, mm. I would say. I think that you can hear it now, like the, you know, the R1 
new thing. H, that, yeah, HSRU Alliance. Kevin, hearing it and there are, mm-hmm. you know, grants here and there that of course are, are you know, uh, are producing or are supporting mm-hmm. this kind of work. But I think that uh, in institutions like ours is critical, the yeah. work that needs to happen in that. So I, this is how I got to here to Montclair State University. <laughs> Thank you for that story. I love it. I love hearing people's journeys. Um, and it usually completely aligns with the work they're doing. That's the, that's the powerful thing, right? And that's why I like to yes. start with that question because we are who we are from when we're born, from our families, from our communities. We don't go to academia, come into higher ed, become practitioners, faculty, and leave all that behind. Like we bring it. We bring yep. all of it in and it comes through in every single person's story. So thank you for sharing that. And I connected so much when you talked about your students being from Texas to Michigan and them feeling like it was another country. I'm from California. When I got to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, <laughs> I actually called it another planet. I didn't even say another country. I was like, this is like Mars. <laughs> it's like, what the heck? Why did oh. they ship me to Mars? You know, like, this is Mars. I yeah. Why am I here? <laughs> so yeah. It's yeah. real. The migration from st- even state to state in this country is it, it, that's a whole that's whole that's a whole department, right? Like yeah. the migration between states because they're so different and getting even more different politically is is <sighs> getting even more divided, more different. <laughs> You're like, don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That that will be a whole yeah. other episode. Yeah, I can go. I can go there anytime. <laughs> you give me a call. I yes. go there, but yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. I did. I live in five different countries and three mm-hmm. different states in the United States, and it is like living in eight different countries. Yes, you know, Michigan, New Mexico, and New Jersey. <laughs> Please, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think that speaks to the power um, as we get into this, we're going to get into this HSI stuff, dig in deep of the power of doing HSI work regionally, um, because you're right, the New Mexico HSIs, that's, that's a whole nother thing than New Jersey, than California, than Texas, which is where a lot of our research comes from, right? The Texas's and the California's (laughs) HSIs are are producing a lot of knowledge, but there's so much more. So yes. I'm definitely excited to hear more um, of your thoughts on that. But let's talk about your servingness journey. What I like to call the servingness journey is like, how did HSI come into your consciousness? Because most people, you know, we didn't think about this always. It, it was a moment. So tell us a little bit about that journey. Well, you know, and I, I'm sure that you're going to see yourself. You do your research, right? Uh, you know, as good researchers, we know the populations that we're working and we look at trends and we, I'm not going to say that I like statistics, I'm sorry, uh, it's out there for everybody to hear it, okay? But you always good <laughs> to speak on your good, yeah, <laughs> the good colleagues that they do like to do statistics. You know, <laughs> yes. Okay, so that's what I did, okay? But uh, what I always say it is, I remember I was the, prior to getting the designation of HSI for the university, I kept doing my research. I mean, I'm a full professor. I I certainly uh, will say that I got there for teaching and for service, but also for my research, of course. So, uh, you know, I kept doing research with Latino communities, Latino families. For example, I taught the first class at the university in Spanish in a major for major credit. So not this, you know, let's learn 
how to speak Spanish or be in a class to learn Spanish. No, no. This was familias latinas en Estados Unidos, okay, taught in Spanish for the major. Well, the first semester, nine. At the end of the three years, we had two sections of 25 students each. I, I didn't even have to look at the demographics out there. The demographics were just dead in front of my face. The things were changing. Our students were changing. The numbers were changing. Representativity was changing. So I kept, at that moment, I was the chair of the chairs, which is the uh, representing all the chairs of the university with the provost office. And I kept talking with the provost. I say, look, this is going to change. I know we have like 10% now, but this is increasing. And it goes 10 and 15 and 20 and all of a sudden 2016 comes up and it says, ah, we are an HSI, which is usually how it goes, right? It is a designation, it's a uh, federal designation, it's not an intentional uh, I think that we, there are some institutions now, and we can talk about that as, at some point too, of why and how, but uh, most of the cases is you went to sleep on Friday and woke up on Monday with 25% of the undergraduate uh, students being from self-identified Latinos. And also we know that that's not the real number because where there is 25, there is probably about 30, okay? So just all of that. And I kept talking with the provost and okay, so we kept talking. And once I decided to apply to another position within the university and within my, my college and the provost called and said, oh, okay, I think we need somebody who knows something about this. Uh, it went a little bit nicer, the conversation, but that's the, the gist of, the, of, of, of what we talk. And I, and I said, okay, okay, just let me jump into the pool and see if I can swim. And uh, some days I feel like I'm going to drown, but most of the time I think I am able to swim. But uh, it has been an extremely interesting journey and an extremely interesting opportunity to grow with an institution and see the things, the possibilities, the barriers, the challenges, and, and be part of the lives of this particular group of students that we are trying to serve. And uh, it's a conscious decision. Um, many people, I have talked with many people, uh, uh, it is, uh, you know, there is a price that we pay also, but uh, it's a conscious decision of, uh, I have dedicated all this life and knowledge and practice and work, and I, I want to see it. I, I want to see it flourish. And uh, HSI is where my heart is. Uh, and the university, you know, I've been able to move within the university in a career that advances my own career as a person and as a, a scholar, but also as a practitioner, but also the opportunity to say, okay, if you can make a difference, where do you make the difference? What is it that is going to be actually your legacy? Where is, how are you going to use the privilege that you have? Because all of us have some privilege, okay? How are you going to use that? And it's a conscious decision. This is how I'm going to use it uh, to serve 
the community. And, uh, and then of course, I hope to have, uh, you know, as we progress in our conversation about, you know, the feelings about the word, you know, service. Uh, and, and I'm sure we will get to that. But at this point and at that point, it was that much. It was very conscious decision of doing that kind of work. Absolutely. You're not the first person to say, well, you know, I was just basically paying attention to the students, <laughs> right? Like if you pay attention to the population, <laughs> you would notice they are progressing. And like, I mean, the, you know, language is again, not the first person to say it was language. It was, we were teaching Spanish and there were a lot of students that wanted it. Heritage speakers, right? Yes. Heritage speakers. Yes. Not, not teaching people how to speak Spanish, people that already know how to speak Spanish, but needed right. it in their disciplines, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Which is a powerful thing and something HSI is hopefully we will get to that point where we need, where that's a part of serving this, right? You need to yes. have that heritage yes. speakers need to speak languages in their disciplines. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you did some of that work. So quick question. So University of New Mexico, also an HSI, probably yeah. one of the historic ones. So when you yeah. were there, did you know they, they were an HSI too? Mm. I, I can't say yes and no. It's a, it's a, it's a weird kind of feeling. Mm. It's almost like a given, but not, you know, and I think that is part, I will put it in, in, a, in the context of my own uh, development at that moment, right? So that was my first full-time career where tenure was the only and only thing that was in front of my eyes. I think that I don't know if they would have put a million dollar uh, gold or whatever in front of my eyes. I probably wouldn't have seen a thing. Okay. Uh, because, you know, you, we were like, okay, okay, you have to publish, you have to teach, you have to do what you have to do to survive this. You know, I have no idea what the heck I'm doing and, and I just need to survive. And, and, I, and I want to stay in United States and this is my way to stay in United States. So if I don't get the visa, here and I don't get the green card and I don't get the the citizenship and you know so you know and I think that is important also to talk about that right because sometimes now I can now I can talk now I can see from you know from historical perspective from all of those kinds of things but at that moment you would have asked me anything beside the article that I needed to read at that moment and finish the class the grading of the class and also taking care by the way of children that I had and have and all of those kinds of things but you know who talks about our own families for God's sake right Uh, you know having family my parents in, in Chile, uh, a brother in Venezuela, uh, you know, so, you know, we don't talk about that piece, but you know, that, but I, I do believe when you ask me and I need to think about it actually, okay? I do believe that for me it was a given, meaning I, I apply only to the University of New Mexico and I got the position because it's what I wanted. Now you ask me if I really knew HSI as a designation, I think that I have to say no. But I don't know if in the, in the constellation of my thinking, I was thinking of anything else. I probably didn't know HSI as a designation, but I knew what the University of New Mexico stands for. And that is what I wanted to work with. Uh, so it's interesting just to have the, the question because you're like, huh, nah, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe not. But why is not coming to my brain right away? An answer of yes and no. It's kind of interesting. I'm going to have to think about that one. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah. 
but it's powerful. It's powerful to think about it like that. Well, and something I say a lot is like, with that, if we didn't have the federal designation, you would still be an HSI. There you <laughs> right? Go. There you go. You, if you, you go. have 50, 60%, which I assume University of New Mexico has a very high number like that, right? Like 50, 60%, a lot of HSIs do. You're still an HSI. It doesn't yeah. matter if you have a designation, if you have grant money, nothing, right? Yeah. You're a part of an alliance. None of that matters. You're still yeah. serving Latino students. Exactly. <laughs> so, Do you need anybody else to tell you? Right. That yeah. You yeah. That? that you should be right? doing that. No, we should. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so yeah, there's, um, there's some of that. And then there's some of that, the historic sort of HSIs yeah. I like to think of. That's a whole nother yes. like research study. One day I'll do is like those historic. Yes. One day I'm going to talk about the TIA HSIs versus like the new, you know, like the, yes. the primas, right? Like there's the different, the family of HSIs. Yes. Right? Those, those yes. would be the tias, right? Those are the elders that are like, yeah, the elders kind of what, yes, kind of, it's kind of what they just do HSI. So that's a whole nother research study we might have to <laughs> work on. Um, it's okay. It's okay. I think yeah. that you're young enough to do it. I will support <laughs> you, but yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'm getting wise though. I'm getting wise. I like that word. I'm getting kind of wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wise, yeah. not old, just wise. No, no. <laughs> Coloring the hair works, you know? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about your position then. So you are the inaugural associate provost for Hispanic Initiatives International Programs. Um, you talked to us a little bit about how that role came about, but for those listening who are thinking of launching something like this at that high level, right? Provost level is really important um, yes. as far as a leadership role. Talk to us a little bit of, more about that, about how important it is to sit at that high level. And then any sort of like programs or initiatives you've launched that we can learn with you, um, things you're, you've done, right, as part of this position. Okay, so yes, it, it has been very interesting. So I'm going to start with actually the first part of the title, okay? Because the second part of the title, and I don't want it to be dismissed because there is a piece of it too in there, the international piece uh, of, the, of my title, it, it just came about a year ago. So the, the first part of my title is the inaugural piece and it is the, the something that we never had at our institution. And all of a sudden there is now a face, a name and a title and an office that uh, for good or for bad, okay, and we exist. And I think that uh, is very interesting. So when, when I started with this uh, position, I... There, like it when it is inaugural, you you know it's not that you can go to the uh, files <laughs> or the different folders in the computer and just say, well, okay, maybe if I continue this or if I do that or if I do, you know. it was a very interesting kind of um, progress development and looking and introspect as well as learning more. So what I did it is I started talking with a lot of people. Okay, they knew me. I have been here at the university for a long time. So people knew me as the faculty, the chair, the head of the the PhD, all these kinds of things. But it it was an interesting piece to get to know me from a very different perspective. So started slowly in understanding what is it that I can do when you are a one person show. So a one you know, I'm going to say it again, only one person, not administrative support, no staff, no anything, okay, and they, but, but I knew 
from the get-going the importance of this position and even stronger, the importance of this position at the academic affair part of the university. So I think that again, for good or for bad, and I think that mostly sometimes it's for bad, and I think the pandemic taught us a lot, that we do not have really good conversations between the academic affairs and the student affairs part of our institutions. And I think the pandemic taught us in the most bad, horrific, bad, you know, difficult way that if we are not looking at our students holistically, you know, the, the credential is not enough, the paper is not enough, the class is not enough. So I think that, you know, I hope that we're going to learn from all of this. If not, why, why, right? But coming back to being in the academic affairs part, it is because the academic affairs part has not historically thought of the importance of looking at what's going on in the classroom in conjunction with what is going on outside of the classroom. Understanding the students before they come to our classroom and understanding them when they leave our classrooms. What is happening from where they're coming, what brings them in, but what not, what barriers we impose, what barriers they have, what challenges, what good things, what are the assets. You know, God forbid, we're going to think about, you know, our students and diversity as an asset, okay? You know, what are, that kind of thing, I think that you you do have, I have unbelievable colleagues that I think in any place, the, the student-centered mentality and the understanding of what they teach and I, how important it is to teach it to whoever is in front of you. So I'm not saying that, but I think that historically and generally, in our HSIs and in the institutions in the in higher ed in the United States, that kind of uh, a divide has existed. So being from the academic and being an academic myself and people knowing that I went through the ranks of assistant, associate and full, okay, gives me a, a, a presentation where they can say, okay, so this woman, has done what I have done. Okay, let's hear it a little bit. And so I find that that conversation, especially with faculty, it is critical and administrators, okay? I believe that a lot of time the staff is a little bit more in tune with what's going on. So there is that kind of work that happens at institutions and why it is important. It, it doesn't necessarily need to be only solely in the academic affair part, but I think that not having the academic affair part uh, is a misservice to the students as it is our you know, focus, but also as an institution too. There is a vocabulary and learning and understanding and talking about research and talking about best practices and talking about what we know that should be in conjunction with uh, services, which is usually how we have thought about the grants and the, and the work that HSIs does. Okay, and that type of service. So where is the academic affair part of the service? And, and if we don't have 
a person, and I'm not saying it needs to be Katia in every single institution in the United States, okay? What I'm saying it is the understanding and the knowledge and the knowing that we need to be in those conversations. We need to be a part of it, not only to impart the knowledge, but also to receive the knowledge that the other pieces of our institution is doing to serve our students. Absolutely. That is such an important, um, everything you just said is so important because you're right. A lot of times the grants, you know, I analyze those grants all the time. What are, what are they funding? What's the federal government funding? And it's often like this, like what I call band-aid solution, right? Like let's implement a, um, a tutoring program. Let's implement, you know, let's implement a, a mentoring program. All important. I want those things. Yes. Let's implement change the faculty's mindsets and ways of thinking, right? Like that's what you're talking about, right? It's like faculty need to be on board with it. Um, and there are institutions that are doing that too. You know, we, we've spoken with Escala Educational Services here on Que Pasa HSIs, and that's all they do is work with faculty. And that's basically what they talk about in their episode is changing faculty mindsets, right? Like you've got to change faculty mindsets because fa- students have to interact with them um, before they even go to a mentoring program or a tutoring or whatever. Again, all important things, um, but there's layers to it. So thank you for saying that. Cause I agree. I think that the fact that you've gone up through the faculty ranks and can speak to faculty, it's matters. Yeah. You know, that they want to yeah. let, they're going to listen to you. <laughs> yeah. And the work can not be done alone is, you know, but mm-hmm. I think that most of the time we have left that piece. So out. Mm-hmm. So I think that it is important. The diversity, equity, and inclusion work is sometimes done in the other side, right? It's not done in the, this side. So that kind of a- academic affairs needs to be involved in all on every mm-hmm. single piece. Uh, but, but, you know, and you had asked me some of the initiatives and some of the uh, programs. Mm-hmm. So, for example, one of them, and we were talking a little bit about it uh, earlier in terms of uh, teaching in Spanish major classes. One of the initiatives is uh, that what I want the students and our Latino students to know, it is that if they know Spanish, not all of them know Spanish, but most of them know some level of Spanish. They even may not feel or define themselves as bilingual, but they are, okay? I always say, you know, how do you call your abuela? Abuela. I say, okay, so you are bilingual, okay? You know, but it's like, you know, that kind of, when we were talking before about understanding yourself, but not knowing everything, you know, all those kinds of pieces. So I talk about it with the students about that. And what I said, it is that all of that is an asset. It's an asset. What we are going right now in the United States, the economic, let's not talk about any social justice or, 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 or real work, or, you know, not, economically speaking, where we are going and the population and the race of the numbers of our Latino uh, people in the United States, you know, we are a force. We're, a, we're an, a financial force, an economic force. I said, but you have an asset that many others do not have and it's your bilingualism or trilingualism or multilingualism. And I said, okay, what you probably have is the Spanish that you speak in the house, that you speak on the street, that you speak with your community, where you speak with your friends, that is the Spanish that you have. What I want is for you to have the Spanish of the profession. So when 
somebody ask you bilingual, not only that you can have a conversation in Spanish about the weather, the life, the family, the all beautiful and gorgeous thing, it is that you can also talk about, uh, about the knowledge that we have in Spanish. So that is the class that I was talking about it earlier, that is Economic 101 in Spanish, there is Spanish for Health Professionals, that is reportando las noticias, uh, that is uh, diplomacy, a class in political science that is on diplomacy, there are two classes uh, taught in Spanish, and here and there they come up with other things that are uh, in majors, okay, and slowly getting that, but to do that you have to have the faculty that can do it. So. Uh, that's a very critical point, and uh, that goes to the PhD talk that we had earlier, and it goes to representation, and it also goes to, you know, having the faculty that can do that kind of work, or at least get the adjunct faculty that can do that work, but uh, the importance of that. In writing, for example, in the Department of Writing, understanding the, uh, the, the needs for the uh, our population, our people that work on that, that they have perfect, in perfect English, okay? But when you see it in writing, you know that there is another language in the background there moving, okay? And it's, that's very different than the traditional English as a second language kind of thing. Uh, that our, our groups are very, very diverse and they have diverse places and positions that where they are. So faculty who teach them, they need to know so that you can meet them where they are and advance them and support them to move forward in the journey, but also seeing themselves as, you know, a great person and a, and a successful student and, and bringing the whole person into the, the space of learning instead of just a piece of your identity. Absolutely. All that is so important. It's making me think too about like, you're talking about the faculty, you know, bringing in more faculty at an HSI that can do this kind of work. Um, I love the language focus like that. I mean, yeah, we need multilingual speakers that know how to be public health, you know, servants and mental health uh, workers. And you mentioned, you know, news, right? Media, uh, politics, we need multilingual folks and all that, but the, the faculty need to be able to do that. Um, and the conversation generally is about within HSIs is more faculty of color, which I agree, we need more faculty of color, but that it's kind of like period. We're not saying people who can also speak multiple languages, which right. might not be faculty of color, why people speak multiple languages too, right? Like there's, there's, yeah. it's complex, right? It's yeah. complex. Yeah. People who are committed to equity and justice and social justice, things you've mentioned, that that's not always included, right? It's like people of color, period. Um, important, but also it's much more complex than that. So, so thank you for speaking on that because there, there's layers to this as far as bringing in the faculty that can do the work at HSIs. Yes. the kind of work that we need. Yes. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about challenges because there's no HSI with no challenges. <laughs> that might be a whole nother episode too, but. Uh, I was going to say, I was going to say, I, no, I, it is, um, I, th 
I think that uh, I haven't heard it from any of my colleagues in any HSI where they will say, oh, this is a piece of work. Uh, you know, not, no problem, no issue. Oh, this is so slow. And so, so, so I'm not slow. So nice and easy and smooth and everything. Um, I, I think that we have some of the issues that other institutions will have that are not necessarily HSI, but if we are talking specific to HSI, and also like we kind of were talking a little bit before too, it is very different an HSI in Florida, that it is here in New Jersey, that it is in New York, that it is in Arizona, that it is in Texas, that it is in California, okay? These are different. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about some of the things that we see here, I think, but I think that they are nationwide in many spaces. Uh, one of the biggest pieces for me, it is that it is a designation. It's not an intentional thinking of, be of being, okay? So uh, we, we get a lot of the um, uh, comparisons with HBCUs, the Historical Black Colleges and Universities that were initiated, started, rightly so, I'm not talking about the history of that, but that they were created with a very specific goal in mind uh, and in practice. Uh, I think HSI did it, okay? I think that the majority is what I said before, it was a change in the population, in the local population. Uh, Finally, Latinos started to see themselves as part of going to school and going to college. So it's not that we didn't have them before or they did or this or that, but you know, we were actually making quite a bit of a change in a K to K-12. Um, and we can go out, but talk about that one too uh, in a minute too. But by numbers, right? By numbers, by moving by looking at the map of the HSIs, you start seeing like these dots that are crawling north, you know, middle, you know, getting away a little bit from the uh, coasts that was, you know, the usual numbers, uh, big numbers. And, and this is a fact. We are part of the United States. We live everywhere in the United States. If we look at the emerging HSIs, there it goes. I think that there is one state that doesn't have an HSI or something like that, if I remember correctly. Um, and, and that by itself is a, a big issue because there is the, in, in the process of development and the process of ch changing, the other pieces of the institutions may not cut up with that. So you keep teaching the students that you saw five years ago, 10 years ago uh, in your classroom. So when is, when is the moment where you realize as an institution that what we have been doing, although it's obviously not bad because we have been able to, and at Montclair State University, it's a it's a it's a good story, okay. Our average in terms of uh, retaining and graduating are higher than the national average, uh, so obviously we are doing something good. But still, for me, when there is a gap, there is a gap. Period. I don't want gaps. <laughs> you know, 
I don't want to shrink the gaps. I don't want gaps. That's it. That, that, that's it. Um, I know that, you know, I have to be patient, but I'm not such a patient woman. So uh, <laughs> in, a, in a sense, it's like, it's that, right? It's, uh, it's all of a sudden, you know, you see, for example, something that is extremely close to my heart, but from disciplinary point of view, but also because it's, it's, it's what I think it is important, the family. Okay, so in higher education, we talk about the families and we are usually between us are laughing about the helicopter parents and, oh God, they are in there all the time and they think they know everything. And, you know, and we have the, you know, the parents that ask those questions and the family members that ask those questions because they know of what they're asking and they're comparing colleges. But our students, and for example, for us at Montclair State University, a large number of them come from first generation. These are first generation college students. So it's not that the families are not intelligent. On the contrary, they have pushed education as a mobility, as a social mobility, and as, as an economic mobility all the time. That is partly the immigration part of it, you know, because also not all Latinos, Hispanic in the United States are immigrants. You know, the border has moved. Okay, too. So we will leave that for another podcast too. But uh, it, the, in the in the big young group that we have, we have family member parents that either they didn't themselves finish high school or they finished high school or even went to a, you know a college uh, outside United States. The experience is total, totally different. I always talk about the first time as a PhD with a child that I needed to think about FAFSA. And people, the, the school counselor kept talking about FAFSA. And I kept thinking, what the heck is this, this person talking about? I didn't go through FAFSA. I came as a, you know, as an international student. I didn't come as a, as a you know, I didn't, you know, grow up in the system here. I had no idea FAFSA. Okay, sounds what, like a food. I don't know what it is. This is so fast. You know, and it's like, okay, so if I don't know, a lot of other people do not know, how do you get the information? How do you find out? How do we open it? In what language we are opening it? Okay, how do are we reaching our communities? And we know that in our communities, the, the, the going to college is a family decision. It's not... You know, you know, it has a lot of connotation and impact to the family, especially I'm talking to the families that are, you know, with first generation students in college. Okay, that is, of course, there is a middle class and upper class and there is, you know, I'm not going to, but the, in our students, what I see, the deservingness and the and where we need to go. It is, you know, the people who know how to deal with the system, they will know how to deal with the system. The people who don't, well, where is the access and the equity in that sense? So that is what I think that, you know, while all of this was happening and these are the population that we are getting and we're getting first generation that are not necessarily Latinos either, okay? But they're still first generation. Our incoming class is 40% first generation and 40% self-identified Latinos. So that's a huge number, okay, huge. And it changes 
it changes everything. It changes the way we teach, what we can expect in classes, how we need to support them, what we need to do, and how we need to bring the families so they can be our partners in supporting the success of these students, in supporting the sacrifice that a lot of them have made to get here and to do this and to finish it as soon as possible with the least financial uh, debt that you can. Uh, that, you know, plus the classes, plus the studies, plus the everything else. So I think that those are challenges that HSIs have that do not, that were with all the knowledge that we may have and everything, I think that it cut people without understanding it, you know? Uh, and in some places it is because we were talking too much about the enrolling part and not what was going to happen after, you know, let's bring them in, let's bring them in, let's bring them in. And then it's like, okay, you bring them in. Do you want them to succeed? So if you want them to succeed, then what is it that you need to do for them to succeed and for them to belong in the institution that they are at? Absolutely. So that cuts into my question. I was going to ask you about like from your own research with uh, families, right? And Latino families, Latinx families. Um, what can we learn about serving this? Because there, there's very little written about families and servingness together. Um, yeah. Although, you know, I don't know all the HSI research, but I haven't come across a lot of it. Rebecca Covarrubias in mm -hmm. um, UC mm -hmm. Santa Cruz, she's doing some of yes. that work, yeah. um, but I don't know a lot. So what can we learn from your, even your, your research, your scholarship about family engagement that we can bring into HSIs? It's a, it's a very, I love the question because it's almost like coming full circle uh, mm -hmm. because I'm now um, starting to uh, think about an institutional program for uh, a family engagement, uh, especially first generation Latinos uh, community. So it, it's interesting because it's what you have been doing and now you have to kind of start thinking it in a more broad and also institutional level, which is what it, I love from the position, right? I was able to kind of try some things and then now I can see that, but also there is some research about it. But one of the especially things that I noticed from the get going when I started with my research. Uh, my first, first publications and research were the relationship between um, parents, school, uh, in Latino communities in a port of entry in the city of New Mexico, in uh, Albuquerque, in the city of Albuquerque. Okay. So this was a, an elementary school that it was a full service school, meaning that they, in the school, they had a social work, health work, public health, a, you know, English as a second language, all kinds of, you know, a community organizations, all kinds of things. So very, very interesting, uh, very grassroots kind of work that was done in that school. And it was, of, of course, enough of interest to me, but it was the port of entry for the city, for immigrants, especially um, without the uh, documentations that we will, uh, that the country would like them uh, to have. And it was, it, it was a very interesting what was happening there, okay? So I started to volunteer uh, in the school and I volunteered for one year uh, translating, bringing people from the university, bringing like physician, a lawyer, you know, different kinds of things until the, the mothers especially. 
al grupo de padres, what's the name, uh, to know me and got to trust me because I always feel that that's what you do first. And there is a reason why I'm starting there. It is because you need to gain their trust and you need to be where they are and not necessarily stay in your office waiting for them to call you, being in a Zoom or anything else by that matter, okay? So I remember spending a lot of hours in McDonald's. Uh, I remember spending a lot of time in the parks, uh, a lot of time in supermarkets, a lot of time in the community, going to where they are. We want them to see to, when they come to the university and to our institutions, do we want them to see a person that they can say, okay, I may not know this, or can I ask? This may be, you know, how even our students sometimes, some of our students, they say, I don't know, this may be like a stupid question. And we say, no, they're not stupid questions. They're all good or whatever. But when you're talking with a generation of adults that may have been quite accomplished in their own countries. And to survive here in this country, you know, with all the barriers, and they have been very accomplished too, okay? Uh, but they don't know the, the language. They don't know the, the, the narrative, the discourse, the whatever it is that we talk about it in these institutions. So do we want them, when, when we invite them to feel that they can ask, they can be, they can see, they can see their children in our campuses. Well, for that, they need to see us first. And that's it. I am like, people talk to me, do that, whatever. I don't care. This is what I know. And this is what I know that it works. And I think it's based on research and it's based on practice, okay? You need to go out. We need to get out of our institutions with people that represent the community that we are going in. And we need to give before we ask. And the giving, it's multifaceted, okay? I did it that way. Uh, uh, other people may do it another way. I visit now uh, high schools that have a parent night in Spanish. And, you know, and, you know, I look like I look, right? And, uh, you know, and I speak in Spanish and, and they look at me like, oh, wow, <laughs> you know, wasn't expecting that. It's okay, perfectly fine. You know, we are diverse in our community. It's okay, all of that, all of that. And for them to see a person that comes from similar, again, I'm not going to say equal. And again, I'm going to say that my immigration, um, story, it is a much more privileged uh, immigration story than many, okay, but can sympathize at least and can talk about those kinds of things and they can see it at the university. So it's not anymore those people. Oh, it could be one of us. And a mother told me, I ran uh, two institutes during the summer for juniors and seniors in high school, three days, two nights, completely free. And we do everything from application to essay, to smooth transition, to advocating for yourself, how to do networking, everything and anything. And they also have a little bit of fun, okay? Because, you know, I'm not that bad, okay? But, you know, we do all of that. Uh, and... The parents, when I talk with them before or after or whatever, some of the things that they have said to me is, I know now there is a person 
that if they don't have any place to go, they will find you. That's, that's so important. That is so important. We go back to representation. We go back to you know being part of understanding that they are not asking give my child an A. You know, pay for everything. You know, the the, the usual things that whatever. No, what they are asking it is if my child is in a crisis. If we do not know where to go, is it going to be a person, an office, a space where they can go because there is something in Spanish written, because there is something that says Latino, because something that says Hispanic, and they can feel like, okay, you know, they will understand me. That's crucial. So our work needs to be beyond, and you know, enrolling and convincing the, the counselors to make sure that they you know, put our institutions in front of them and here we are, it is talking with the communities and the families. And for that, the work is hard, but it needs to be done. And it needs to be something that we do as a matter of fact in our ecosystem of things that we do in our university. So for me, that's it, it's the critical piece because also that in, in the whole process, there are so many pieces that are going to happen. So we know from research, for example, and from practice too, that there is this world kind of movement, okay, for some of our students, especially again, first generation, that they feel like they live in very different worlds when they come to campus and then when they go back to their houses and their families. So you have the issues that are, well, your friends think that you know too much, the ones that didn't go to college. Then you have your parents that feel that you are more educated than them. Uh, you meaning, and those are more on the difficult challenge part of it. They are good pieces of it, okay? It is the parents that tell everybody from the third floor to down, okay, have a child, got an A, you know, you know, whatever. And you are also embarrassed and people look at you and whatever, but, you know, the, the proudness and the, and the feeling and the happiness of seeing your child advancing and you thinking, I made sacrifices and this is why I made the sacrifices, okay? You can see it, you can feel it and you can be there. So, but we know things happen. So, if we don't work with the families, then we heighten that division. We heighten that issue for our own students. So now we are adding pieces to their day-to-day -day work that they need to do that doesn't have anything at this second to be with, you know, me studying or not studying enough for a test or, or, or participating in class. It is that they are dreading or, or feeling bad or whatever on something that, first of all, they have no control over. And also it is something that they were pushed to do and they then now, should I, you know, enjoy this too much? not how can I explain that I would like to stay you know for these three four events at the university and not go back home and have dinner with them I, I cannot take care of my young sibling uh, I cannot work 40 hours I can all of the pieces okay are critical pieces for our students and for our Latino students 
And then if we don't work with the families and when try to see it, you know, look at the short and the long range and look at what you, you, you were the one who got this, this student here. You, not us, you did. But how do we have that conversation so they can feel part of the process and they can feel part of the, you know, of all of this as if they were they own themselves going through. And that's what I think the work with families is critical. Absolutely. Oh, and I love that you talked about just going out to the communities like that piece because as universities we do what we do right and so we're like let's create a program and we'll and we'll you know we'll we'll have this program and it'll be in spanish ooh, innovative and and we'll invite the families and we think that they're going to show up <laughs> families right. are like no. I, i've never been invited to that campus i have to pay for parking why would i pay for parking to go to this place that i've never yeah. been invited to before or like all these layers of like the university's never been welcoming to students, let alone families, right? Like the idea of going, taking our engagement into the communities. I have a colleague who has done a study here in Pittsburgh with our emerging Latino population at a soccer field, right? Yeah. And that's powerful, yeah. right? You want to yeah. find the Latino families in an emerging yeah. community? Yeah, that's where you go. Field. Soccer field might be a good place to start. Absolutely <laughs> And the, the whole family. Football, but yeah, okay, yes. Uh-huh, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But, um, yeah. Yes, yes. But like the idea that like we need to rethink our models of serving this. Serving this cannot be, oh, let's create a family program and it'll be in Spanish as if that's yeah. super innovative. It's not. It's not yeah. when you're thinking about, you know, everything you talked about is driven by your own research with families there's a different kinds of engagement, um, particularly with Spanish speaking immigrant families, right? That, that, are, that don't necessarily trust universities. I think we assume people yes. trust universities. Why? What have they ever done? Sometimes yeah. they do harm to our communities. Why would we trust universities? Yeah. But, but the, the power, even when you were talking about the families and like families knowing they can trust somebody. I thought about my own experience with my students. Like all the moms know me, like my doctoral students, like, like I get letters, I get cards. Yeah. Cause it's like the students are talking about what, you know, you're they're, what yeah. they're doing at the university. Right. And, and the families come to know, even if they don't know us, they come to know us. Right. Yeah. Because the, yeah. that's what, that's part of part when of- they graduate, they cry with us. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. That having, you know, that moment is when, you know, when the when the parents ask you to be in the picture, I'm like, oh, oh so nice, so nice. Yes, because that's <laughs> how I feel. I feel part yeah. of family. So right. bring me in, bring me in the joy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And such a just, it's an under talked about part of our serving, serving oh, for sure. Oh. So yeah. there's yeah. another research study we're going to write. I'm, I'm giving you a whole list of oh, things oh, yeah. me I and you are going to write. <laughs> I will support you in everything and anything. I will give you the, you know, the participants. <laughs> I will invite you to all these things. <laughs> uh, but yes, there, there's it. I mean, but it speaks to the, the importance of this, you know, this podcast and trying to yes. knowledge creation that hasn't fully been created. And some of this not even happening yet. We're dream, We're dreaming it. Yeah, but it's it's so important also because the podcast, you know, as as you know, as you develop it, right, as you have more episodes and everything, we probably can put it together like a rompecabeza, like <laughs> the pieces of the puzzle that each of us 
have done, is doing, is thinking, mm. and how we come together, you mm. know, and learn from each other, which would be, you know, the right thing to do. Uh, right. and, and this is a way of, of, of preserving, preserving yeah. the work that has been done and, yeah. and where we need to go. Yeah. And acknowledging that a lot of this work is being yes. done. Um, Cause you know, I get really offended and hurt when people are like, Oh, HSIs are just enrolling. And I'm like, there is a ton of work going on just cause it's not written in a journal. Doesn't mean it's not going on. That it is true. It, it is going on. So Absolutely right. All right. So I want to talk to you a little bit about this idea of external influences, because I talk about that in my new book, another underdeveloped part of HSIs that we operate. And we talked about this already regionally. We operate in regions in cities and in states, largely seeing more and more states that are against what we want HSIs to be about equity and justice and, and, and humanity, acknowledging people's humanity. Um, So talk to me a little bit about New Jersey. What are some of the challenges or benefits maybe of being in, in New Jersey area um, when it comes to either helping or hindering the work you're doing around serving this? Well, I have to tell you, you know, going back to talking about the journey, right? The academic journey. And uh, that was part of it. Meaning (laughs) you know, five minutes from my house, I go to Bravo supermarket, another five minutes to the other side, I go to super supermarket, and then I can go to Elizabeth or Jersey City, or depending on the food that I, that day I want to eat, I can have the food in the community of where people live. I live in West Orange, which is one of the most diverse cities here in New Jersey. Uh, I don't need to drive more than five minutes and get whatever I want to that's that's a that you know i don't take it for granted i i lived in michigan uh, even new mexico like we were talking before earlier that is different uh the latinidad or the hispanidad is different uh, uh the way people define themselves right is different um and over here in new jersey you cannot get away from it and i love it you can't you just can't, you go to, to wherever you go, you know, it's like that moment where, you know, what you are now with my grandchildren, because, you know, at some point it was with my children, but now with my grandchildren, of course, but because you're but, wise, <laughs> there you go, there you go, extremely wise, obviously. extremely wise, abuela, there you go, there you go, and uh, it's like, you know, you go to places and, you know, and this, this may sound I want it to be taken as the most positive thing, okay? But it's like, I say sometimes something in Spanish and there is somebody close by that speaks Spanish and helps me. That's it. It's almost like I don't need to explain anything. There is an instant connection. There is an instant, like, I'll do for you. I'll do for you, both sides, whatever it is. I love it. And it happens in New Jersey, okay? Of all places, okay? Uh, It's an interesting place. We had uh, very much extremely diverse enclaves and communities around. Uh, uh, And, and, you know, you have some of the things that be careful if you call the Cubanos Puerto Ricanos or the Puerto Ricanos Cubanos. So, you know, we have to be like careful of what, you know, what that, but that kind of sensation that, because it's diverse and because you turn around a corner and you will find it, it is something that 
can people get away with not talking about it? Can people get away with not facing that that's happening? You know, the universities, uh, you know, our university, it is mostly state students that come to our university. We do have from outside, of course, but still. And, uh, and I think that that piece uh, is like, it, like when I was sitting there with the provost and thinking, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> you know, this is our people. These, these people go to high school, okay? They were in the elementary school. Now they go to high school and they will go to college, okay? And here we are. And I think that that kind of feeling for me is very important. The other piece of New Jersey, because you can't talk about New Jersey without talking with about New York, because you know the three-state area thingy that is going on here. But you have New York, which I would say there is no more diverse space in the whole world as it is in New York. And I think that that also helps in the sense of it's a given. It's not anything else but a given, so you cannot get away from it. So what I have tried in the work was to actually make sure that I get connected with uh, at the political government level, uh, uh, or for example, the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce level, okay? Uh, as well as the very strong organ, uh, you know, corporations that we have. Um, and it's always an interesting, you know, uh, work that we do with, uh, with empowered and access and wealth and all of those kinds of things. Uh, but I feel that I can speak the language where they can see the benefit of actually investing in the pipeline of the future uh, workers, uh, professionals uh, in, uh, in our cities and in our um, uh, groups and every state that needs to happen. So I think that we have, a, you know, senators and congresswomen and congressmen that are Latinos. Uh, so that also, of course, helps. So we have representation. We have very strong women uh, work that is done at the government uh, um, space, and uh, and the the thing is to how you you know you meet them uh, because as also as academics like we were talking before is uh, you know when you when I talk about going get getting out of the the four walls of the institution to reach out for families the, the work that needs to be done with the communities in terms of you know corporations, organizations, as well as government uh, and everything else is also the same thing. We need to go out. They need to see us. They need to learn what we see every day and how we need to work together and how the, the, the stronger, the, of course, schools, of course, but the stronger higher education means stronger workforce. And sometimes that's the vocabulary that we use, although we would like to use a much more, you know, theoretical uh, conversation. But the, the truth is that we need to be able to translate that theoretical and that academic thing that happens in university 
to the people that are going to have to receive uh, our students, but also how we convince them to open the access to what they can offer. And that's not, it's not a small thing. Uh, we, we do not have, our numbers are not out there, okay? They, they uh, the access to internships, the, you know, the, the possibility even to get an internship, but also the possibility of taking an internship. You know, how many internships that we have that are unpaid? And we're asking our students that need to, uh, you know, contribute to their families to take a whole summer without pay when it is the full-time work that they have. It's, you know, the conversation needs to happen in all of those spaces. And we need to be the ones who translate that and we bring them in as well as we go out there. So I found that in many spaces in New Jersey, I don't need to explain myself very much. And actually interesting enough, but I think it's not interesting because we know the research, okay? It is that we have the commodity. Our students are the commodity, okay? They people that understand what's going on in the financial and, you know, business and, you know, service industries and everything else, they know, okay? And they know what they need. And uh, so where are, where are they, okay? And uh, so the question is how we work it out that the benefit is for our students. So fine, I buy it. You need our students. Okay, how are we going to do it? Do you have paid internships? Will you be, you know, coming to the university and have recruiters at the university? Will you have uh, sessions where you explain how to present yourself for this particular set of things, the best that you can do so you can know what to say, what to do, how to behave? And even when we go through all the conversation about don't lose yourself and whoever you are is important enough and everything else, we need to walk a very important line in helping our students understand that there are words where we, there are sometimes pieces of us are going to have to be there, but not the same way. And do we know how to work within that system to get there, to be part of the inside so we can change the system to where we want to go? And that kind of work takes a long time and takes a very intentional way of doing it. Uh, but it also needs to be that you go out there and say, this is what I have, but what is it that you have for me to give me? So I find that particularly the state of New Jersey, it's... It's been, you know, it's been okay. It's yeah, fine. It, it helps. It sounds like it helps. Yeah. Anyone that's listening in from like, um, oh, Idaho or Indiana or the middle, they're, they're kind of jealous right now because you just described an important piece of the serviness, which is the external environment. Yes. Right. That like you can leave the university and, and find your foods, your community, a job, right? Like all those things. It, it's an important part of serving us. So yep. thank you for articulating that in so many dimensional, multidimensional ways, because it is, it's complex. Exactly. So, so thank you for that. So the final question, for some reason, it's the hardest question for some people, but it shouldn't be hard. It's a, it's a one 
sentence or two sentence response because people log in because they want to know what's happening with HSIs. So how do you answer that? ¿Qué pasa, HSIs? It's so funny. How do you ask me to just say one sentence? I can't. You have to have me for another half an hour, okay? So I can answer. But, yeah, one. <laughs> yeah. but my answer will be, we are where we need to be. Okay. That is like what that. Que pasa. Okay. I like estamos, that. Estamos I love it. I love it. Thank you for that response. It's a, it's a profound response and it's, it's absolutely true. So thank you for being um, guests today with us. And I, I really appreciate it and really enjoyed this conversation. Me too. Me too. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you.